Good evening, everybody. Hey, this is the time where we are going to join together in agreement and community prayer, support each other in prayer. But this is also a time where we can give testimonies. Before we go into this time, there's just some things to keep in mind. Um, one of those things is we want to keep it brief just because we want to make sure that we do things in a timely manner. Also, just be aware of the content that we're sharing. If it's an individual prayer thing, we're going to have people on the side at some point during the service where you can get individual prayer. And also, when the when the hand hits your shoulder, that means to wrap it up. All right? So, would anybody like to share a testimony, or would you like agreement in prayer? Is one of our first-time visitors. Everybody give it up for her. Hi. <laughs> I'm Morgan. My first time here. Actually, it's technically my second time. I came last week and no one was here, but that's all good. I came back. Uh, <laughs> um, I just wanted to say you guys make a person that's never been here feel really welcome. And I just feel blessed to walk in the doors and see everybody. All right, that's my that's my testimony. Is that okay? What was your name again? Morgan. Morgan. We're going to pray for you, Morgan. If you could reach out your hands. Father God, we just thank you so much for leading Morgan our way. Thank you for ordering her steps, Lord God. Thank you for her faithfulness and even coming back when the doors are locked last week, Lord God. We just ask that you would pour out your spirit on her. We ask that she would experience you today, Lord God. And we ask that she would experience you through community also, that she would continue to feel the love of God through us. We love you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Is there anybody else that would like to share a testimony or prayer? Well, I was trying to be quiet to let somebody else do something. Um, so I've been holding this for a couple months, maybe about a month. Um, and it's not really, it is my testimony, but it's from a different perspective. Um, and so about February 23rd, um, I get a call at work because my daughter Harmony was really sick at school. And I'm thinking to myself that she's in the background making commentary and everything's going to be all right. I'm like, oh, well, just, you know. They said, well, she can't really breathe. And I said, well, ma'am, she's back there talking a lot. And it sounds like, you know, her breathing is fine. Uh, I'll be there, you know, as soon as I can. And so I get to the school, and I'm waiting in the wrong spot. And so they were like, ma'am, we need you to go to this place. And as I'm walking up, my baby's in a wheelchair. And I'm like, girl, get out of that wheelchair, sitting there playing with these people. And literally, like, she was struggling to hold her head up. And I just thought that she was looking at me with her, you know, little charming ham-like harmony self. And so I get there, and she's burning up. And so um, the school had to help me get her from the school to the car. And, like, literally the, the guy that was wheeling her in the chair had to lift her up um, to put her in my car. And so I rush over to Richmond Community and literally it was the scariest thing that I had ever seen in my life. Um, to sit there and see your child like having what looks like a seizure and talking out of her mind like, but yet she was calling on God in that craziness. 
Like I'm sitting there helpless and she's like singing um what's that Fred Hammond song that we sing? Um No, not that one. Mighty, mighty, show yourself strong. Yes. And like literally she's out of her mind. She don't even know what her name was, but she was sitting there singing, Mighty Lord. And I was <laughs> Yo, y'all, I was I've never experienced anything like it and I was scared to the point where I did not know what to do. And anybody who knows me, I think I know everything. (laughs) But I didn't know what to do and all I could do is stand there and call upon my prayer warrior, Leslie. Oh my gosh. And I I just didn't know what to do. And so um, they transferred her from Richmond Community to VCU because they didn't really know how to handle children. And there was, you know, just all these anxieties and things that were going on in my brain just from stigmatism that my mom had gave because of her experiences at MCV. And so I'm scared, and I called my buddy Ramesh, my doctor on call, and Ramesh was like, look, I can't help you if she's somewhere else because I won't know how to get, you know, the information from them. And so um, I said, all right, Lord, I'm trusting you in this. And when we walked into the emergency room, Susie was the second person that I saw in the building. I'm just like, all right, okay, God, I know you got this. And so I watched as he just continued to move in a way that I cannot attain to anybody but him. And not only that, they were nervous that that she had um, viral meningitis. But what happened was encephalitis had set in from fever. And so that's why she was talking out of her mind and her tests. You know, we, we had to do all kinds of tests, but it came back negative and she was fine. But the glory that, that was, was happening in that, in that situation didn't dawn on me until exactly four Fridays later when she got ready to get on the bus to go to Puerto Rico to minister to folks who were experiencing grief. And when I tell you, it just, it was like God had opened the box that was on the top of my head and the revelation came out shining with a neon sign that our children are destined for something greater. And if you guys don't invest in the youth group, you should be ashamed of yourself. Now, investment is is a weird thing because you don't actually have to do a whole lot to invest in that. All you have to do is say a prayer for these young people that are walking these streets experiencing things that no one should ever experience. Do y'all know our kids are going to war every day, weaponless in this community. When they see their friends dying on their doorsteps, when they hear the gunshots that rattle these neighborhoods, they are at constant warfare. And so if we are not pouring into them like God is pouring into us and we are not partitioning on their behalf like other people are partitioning on our behalf, we are doing them a disservice. And I did not get in and come in here to do this. <laughs> and, I, and I'm not trying to scold anyone. I'm just trying to get you guys to understand the urgency that is out there. The enemy is out for our kids. They, he doesn't just want us. He wants the potential that could be God's mighty army. And so we have to continuously invest in our kids, not even just youth group, but even children's ministry. We have to start early. That's all I really got. <laughs>
Praise God. Let's get it up. Let's get it up. Thank you, Jesus. And can you just pray for our youth? Thank you so much. I'll be honored. Lord, we lift up your children. Um, and we know that they were yours before they were ours, Lord. Lord, help them to see the potential that you see when you created them. Um, help us to understand that even in the midst of our days, if we, if you just touch our brain to think of a child that we would just pray for all our kids at East End, if we see something that touches our hearts to, to just touch us to petition for a child that we know, Lord, um, I just lift up the youth group. And I just praise you for their diligence every Sunday to come up and put the chairs together and to to make sure that this space is ready for for service. Um, To lend a helping hand to just be a part of this ministry. Um, Lord, I I thank you for the time that they had in Puerto Rico. Um, I thank you for the many ways that you blessed them while they were there. Lord, just let their light shine out into these streets that they might be a beacon for the children that are walking alongside them that don't know you, Lord. I lift up the children in the neighborhood who don't come here, Lord, that they might hear your call and they might reach out to whatever church that you have for them right now, Lord, that we all in this neighborhood and in in the, the, the glory of God, that we would just show our children what it means to trust you when things don't look like they're supposed to, to call on you even when they are in the craziest situations that they can find themselves. Lord, I bind up the enemy so that he may not enter their thoughts, that they might see themselves as something, that they might see their purpose that's being called in you, Lord God, because you are our only hope. And it's in your mighty son's name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. We have one more. And this is going to be our last for this time. Amen. So I think that it's perfect that I piggyback off of her because I try to bring as many kids as I can to church. Um, But like she said, like these kids are really going through a lot. And I bring them here because what if Right, these kids are second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade. But what if God might be pleased to save them? And we got 10 of them at Armstrong going hard for Jesus. Right? So when I come here, I be feeling like a chicken with my head cut off because I'm trying to make sure that they, you know, they're straight, that they're not screaming out. But feel free to, you know, correct these kids. Feel free to tell them to sit down if you hear, you know, if you hear them being loud you know feel free to to um correct them because you know we have to do this as a as a unit and as a family but i just i just um i just thank god for east end fellowship because i can remember i'm from richmond but i can remember a point in time when um like i the lord saved me in high school and there was nothing i mean like nothing I, i had no youth group i had no you know no type of churches no type of Christian outlets to, you know, to tell me about Jesus, and I just thank God for this establishment, and I just hope and I pray that, you know, that um that we can just continue to to, to build as a family, that we can continue to to grow as a family, and that I mean that the Lord might be pleased to save these kids. So I just thank God. 
Amen. Absolutely, you could pray for Jeremy. Um, y'all, what Jeremy's doing is amazing, um, and, and he's right. We need to um, we need to come alongside him and what he's doing. Um, and so I'm just going to pray for you, and I'm going to pray for us as a congregation. God, we thank you, Lord, that children want to come to this place and that Jeremy is willing um, to pick them all up and bring them here and be responsible for them while they are here, God. Um, and you have called us as his body to support him in this, Lord, um, to come around these children as their family while they are with us, Lord. I pray that you would equip us to do that, God. Um, if anybody has it on their heart right now, if their heart is burning, um, that you are saying to them um, that they are that person, God, um, I, I pray that they would step up, Lord. Um, and I pray that we we would heed this joyous call, this joyous call to come alongside and disciple and love these children. Because this is not a burden that you have given us. It is a gift, God. It is a gift that you are bringing children here um, whose parents might not be with them, that they might um, know you, that they might hear your word, and more than that, that they might have a family here of people that care about them and love them, God. So I pray that you would equip us in that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. And as we transition from our community prayer time to the Word, I would love for some participation. Okay? Can, it, can we do a drum roll? You know how to do that, patting on your legs? Coming to the mic is a man of God filled with the Holy Spirit, prepared to give a word that could change your life and cause some conviction. Could y'all please give it up for Rob Dennison? Thanks, Chris. I asked him for a five-second introduction. So. I'd be excited we can do it in like a minute. I'd be asking for that next well, thank you. We're, we're so happy to be back here in the Robinson again this Sunday. Uh, again, apologies for anyone who showed up last week. We were actually at the movies. <laughs> the whole church was at the movies. Um, and that's actually not a joke. We were actually uh, at the Bird Theater, and we were watching a documentary called 11 AM. Who was at the documentary last week? Pretty much everyone. Awesome. Um, so the documentary 11 AM was about uh, segregation in our churches. Uh, kind of exploring this dynamic where, as a faith community, we've kind of separated our churches based on our ethnicity, our race, our socioeconomic status, um, and kind of just exploring what that looks like in Richmond, uh, the history of why that was, and then also tracking some cool, cool stories here within uh, the East End. So it tracked the um, Urban Songwriting Internship. Um, who here came through the Urban Songwriting Internship? Awesome. So that's an internship that happens every year um, at our church where uh, people from different areas and different walks of life, young people come together to make music um, for the urban context, for a uh, diverse context. And what I really, really appreciated about the documentary is just how honest it was about like how hard that is. Um, I think when you're making like a documentary like that, it can be really tempting to be like, yay, like 
here's like the three steps in the training and then you guys are going to be like golden when it comes to racial reconciliation but um, I think the documentary did a fantastic job of just saying like hey this is this is kind of hard and like when we're in proximity with each other there's like real conflict that we have to work out um, and real barriers to reconciliation so Aaron said that I could preach on anything that I wanted today which is a large a large uh, parameters uh, so what I kind of wanted to do was just kind of carry forward the documentary a little bit and just talk a little bit about like, the spiritual reasons that reconciliation is difficult and um, kind of like what's going on in our hearts and what's going on in our communities when we, when we attempt to kind of live together as a diverse people. Um, this is a, a kind of an intimidating topic for me, and it's an intimidating kind of breath that we're going to go through in this, in this kind of next 25 minutes. So um, I'm just going to pray and ask for the Holy Spirit's guidance. So, Lord, we thank you um, for your presence here today. We thank you for um, the worship um, that has guided us towards you. We thank you for the testimonies um, of, of healing our youth and drawing our youth um, and the, the work that you're doing, spreading your kingdom here in the East End. Um, Lord, and we just open up our hearts. Um, we want to be more attuned to your kingdom, more effective in our ministry, um, closer and tighter knit together as a community, Lord. And so we just pray that your Holy Spirit would be with us and allowing us to pursue that together and in our own hearts. Be with me as we read the word. Amen. So let's start off with um, the barriers to reconciliation. So yeah, my, my sermon title is Pursuing Reconciliation. And um, what the first thing that we're going to explore is just uh, barrier number one, which is that personal reconciliation is hindered when we place our desires over that of another person. And so we're going to crack open the scriptures here. I'm going to jump around a little bit. We're going to start in James 4, verse 1. It says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And, and this verse really captured me this week because I think it just does a, an amazing, it, it paints an amazing picture of how like personal our sin is and how our sin gets revealed when we're in close proximity with, with each other. Um, you know, in, in, in America, in American theology, um, often we can kind of see sin as like this very legal thing where it's like, there's a holy God who's a judge and he has laws. And, oops, we broke the law, and so now there is punishment. And then, oh, but Jesus came, and he paid for that debt, and okay, we're good now. And it's like this mathematical equation where you're kind of running down pluses and minuses, and everything equals zero, and everything's, like, great at the end. And and there's truth to that, and that, that's kind of, like, theologically true. But I think what it misses is, like, the personal interaction and the personal uh, pain that's caused when we actually sin against each other, right? So when we look at this verse, it says we desire and we do not have, so we... We murder. Like that came in, like all of a sudden another person is impacted by the desires of our hearts, by the sin that resides in us. Um, and, and we run into that when we start like living together, when we start being close to each other. 
Um, so I remember when I first like got to really understand kind of like the depth of how deep this was in me when uh, I went to college and I started living with roommates that were my peers because up until that point I was the oldest child and kind of through force of you know presence or manipulation or just power like I could get lots of the things that I wanted like much of the, what I wanted out of my own life I was able to kind of just get um, but when I ran into college and I ran into peers they're like like no can't have my shoes or you know like um there was a particular time where we had a uh argument about how we were going to split up the bills and i was just so convinced that like i was being wrong like i was paying too much i shouldn't be paying for this and like i almost broke this relationship over a couple dollars a month because i was so set and like this is right this is me this everyone should see the world and see their finances the same way i was and i almost broke that relationship and and what it had what i had to realize about myself is like if 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 i'm like i i almost want to project myself onto other people um there's a there's a german theologian called dietrich bonhoeffer and he writes uh, a lot about christian community and i'm going to uh, show a quote from him here and this is talking about that moment like everyone has this moment where you're in a relationship or with a coworker or a spouse or a sibling and you run into this moment where like I want something and you want something and I have to make a choice like is it going to be you or is it going to be me and how are we going to interact like with this uh, in this moment so Don Bonhoeffer talks about this choice he says I could get rid of the burden of, of that choice by refusing the other person their freedom by constraining them and doing violence to their personality and by stamping my own image upon them and that that phrase stamping my own image upon him it just it, it was so evocative to me as i read this quote that like that's what we're doing when we have a desire and we're like you are going to fulfill this for me and and i have like a little progression of thought here like this is how uh, insidious the sin is is it goes from like hey my desires are first just generally right like and then we can kind of slide into well not only are my desires first but i want you to fulfill my desires and then we go to not only should you fulfill my desires but you should want the same thing that I, I that I want and then that slides into like I, I really just want you to be a little a little me <laughs> and, and and there's like a lot of comic book villains like that's the plot right like in superhero movies that they want to tear down the world and then they show this dystopian future where it's all their face and their favorite color and their favorite uh form of gothic architecture or something um <laughs> but like it's it's not that uh it's not that happy when it happens in our own lives. It's not that innocent. You know, when we're when we're dealing with people especially in like this super political environment that we're in, um we see it when it's like we we align on like 98% of things, but it's like ooh, abortion, we don't agree on that. And it's like nope. Like I want you to be everything. I want you to have all of the lines of like I'm not willing to even have one bridge of difference between us for us to be in relationship. Um or how many times have you heard the phrase is like I like what they said but I didn't like how they said it, you know? Like the content was all right but they didn't say it the way that I want to hear it. So like oh no, like we're we're stepping back from that relationship. Um And so I I I want us to just keep this dynamic in mind. as we explore what it means to be reconciled to each other because i think that on a on a daily kind of personal level 
it's it's the desire to serve our own needs over that of another person, which which is really serves as sort of the fundamental dynamic that that makes reconciliation difficult in any, any situation. So let's step back just a bit. So I have a I have a picture. So this can anyone can anyone name where this is in Richard? What's that? Fulton Gas Works. Thank you, Brenda. Our Fulton resident. <laughs> Fulton represent. I took this photo, by the way. I'm very proud of it. I was standing, I was standing on a building I shouldn't have been standing on. So, when you look at this photo, I mean, there's like a lot going on. There's old buildings, but there's some like some really green grass like an awesome skyline. You have like city views, or I mean, sorry, river views. You have actually a view of the skyline to your right if you're to turn to your right. And it's almost like inconceivable why there's not an apartment complex or some sort of building on this already. You know, with like the rate at which Richmond is urbanizing, you would expect like, hey, there's going to be riverfront uh, property here, but there's not. And there's actually a really good reason that there's not, and it's because it would probably kill the people that live there. And because, so Fulton Gas Works, what they did is, uh, back before, you know, uh, we had awesome power plants, they would take coal, and they would burn the coal, and they would produce natural gas, and then they used the gas to, um, you know, provide energy to the city. But what that pr- created was coal tar. That was the byproduct of that reaction. And that coal tar is incredibly toxic, seeped into the ground, and, like, lines the whole bed of that site. So nothing can be built. And so, and so where I'm going with this is that there's historic byproduct in our city that has to be dealt with before like life can happen. And and that's not just like this uh, practical cause and effect, but there's also spiritual cause and effect that we have to be aware of and deal with if we're going to see fruit in those areas. Let's turn to Genesis four. So this is a verse that kind of um, it kind of highlights the spiritual dynamic. I think it's very easy for us to look and see practical cause and effect, but it can be a little bit difficult to see spiritual cause and effect and kind of like understand like the the the, um, the complexity that's going on there. So in Genesis, what um, what this verse is about is it's, it's about two brothers, um, Cain and Abel, and um, one of them killed the other. Over, over an argument, over something that happened. And these are the Lord's words um, to that brother. So he says, the Lord says, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened up its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer be yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And this is like a super, super heavy passage. Um, there's a lot that's going on here. Like you're dealing with with a brother who murdered, you know, his brother. Um, but you're also dealing with like the effects and the ramifications of that sin. Um, see, the the, the murderer uh, Cain was a farmer, and he took his life from the land. He he, you know. And so when it says that he's cursed, it says that. That ground that he worked, that place that he resided, the place where he was used to finding like health and happiness and wealth was going to be dried up to him. 
and that he was actually going to be almost like a fugitive and a wanderer. He couldn't, he couldn't enjoy that anymore. And so when we don't see fruit sometimes in our neighborhood or in each other's lives or in our city, it, it, it could be because we're just not understanding like the spiritual dynamic and the spiritual groundwork behind, like on top of what we walk. And we, I, I, this, God led me to this verse quite a while ago. It was probably like five years ago. Five years ago, I was actually part of a church plant that was not East End Fellowship. I was a part of a church plant called CRC Richmond. Um, and we were actually here in this building in the Robinson before East End met um, at 12 o'clock. And we were like super excited about the East End. We really wanted to see God break in and to have revival. And we were all about like, we were like, we're going to prayer walk. We're going to have block parties. And like, God is going to bring revival to the East End. And um, we did that. We fasted. We prayed. We prayer walked. Um, we ran into some East Enders planting gardens, which was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, <laughs> but we had a block party. I remember one time we were like, we were so convinced. It was like, this block party is going to change this neighborhood because like God is going to bring revival through this. And, and I, I'm not trying to like downplay or act like that was a silly um, idea. But when it didn't happen, like it felt like we kind of ran into a brick wall. We were like, this was our strategy. Like, why, why didn't we see anything happen? And, and what I was underestimating, what I think we were all underestimating, is like the, the, the hardness of the ground here in Richmond because of the oppression that's happened here in Richmond. Because of the oppression that's happened in our, our neighborhood and in our city. Um, you know, before, before we were here, you know, uh, yeah, so before that we were here, you know, we have so many layers of uh, history that has happened, including, um, you know, so Powhatan Hill, another Fulton site, is um, traditionally one of the places where uh, colonial, colonials came and, um, sorry, I'm losing my train of thought here. Take a drink. So let's, let's let's start here. So Richmond has 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 fallen prey to a lot of historic sin. Um, you know, it started with Native American genocide, and, and then it moved to um, a history of slavery. You know, Richmond was one of the largest slave ports on the East Coast, outside of New Orleans, and even the site that we showed um, as you're looking over the river, um, that was like the slave trail that went right along there, and, and slaves would walk that riverfront, um, that very ground, to the place where they would be di- they would die or be, uh, be sold. Um, after slavery, Richmond was intense in its segregation, um, and very, very intentional in how the city limited who could have access to resources and power very, very intentional on how it blocked off um, neighborhoods of color into impoverished areas and condensed forms of poverty that um, it would be obviously harmful to be in. And so when we look at this neighborhood and we see these systems of oppression, they were created by that same desire out of Timothy to, to control and to force and to push our own desires over in other people. And systems of oppression are created when our desire to control and to manipulate one another is backed by the power to do it. And that's happened in Richmond. And that's left a residue. 
And so what prevents reconciliation? Well, in another sense, it's, it's our inability to recognize and deal with historic trauma and go through the tough processes of uncovering it. When we go back to that, that Fulton Gasworks site, you know, it's going to require millions and millions of dollars to be able to reclaim that land. Lots of digging and excavating and moving all of this toxic byproducts out so that it can produce life again. And it's going to require that in our community, and it's hard work. You know, reconciliation requires digging deep, confession and forgiveness. And, and here's the, the exciting thing is that Richmond's moment is coming. I mean, Richmond has such a powerful history, uh, such, a, such a traumatic history that in this nation's dialogue about reconciliation, Richmond is going to play a part. And if we're going to be like a prophetic church, a church that's living into those things, we have to be able to overcome these barriers. So what is it going to look like to bring healing to our lives and our communities? So we're going to shift now to good news, the Jesus part. So Hebrews 12, 23-24, this is the verse that five years ago when I ran into a wall with that church plant, and we were like, I don't know what else to do. Like, we, we prayed, we fasted, we, had, we, we, were, we put ourselves out there for the community. Um, this is the verse that, that God led me to. And it says, you have come to God, the judge. This is talking about the, the new covenant. It's talking about the new kingdom reality that we live in if, 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 as Christians. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the meter of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And that's a reference to Genesis. So that's a reference to that story of murder and betrayal that we read. And it's, and it's painting two pictures. It's painting two realities. This reality of injustice, of murder and oppression that's like crying out, like, give me justice. Like, I need healing. This hurts. There's trauma here. And then it's painting another picture of Jesus and the blood of Jesus saying a better word, like a, a word of healing and a word of hope and a word of peace, that Jesus' blood speaks a better word even then, the massive amounts of historical trauma that's existed even in this neighborhood. And, and so when we sing words like the blood, like we sing words like the blood still works, please understand though, this isn't like trite. This isn't something that we just say because we want to say it and feel better about ourselves or feel better about our situation because Jesus' blood didn't, it came at a cost. It wasn't cheap and it wasn't free. Our freedom isn't free. So when we think about the incarnation, God in all of his majesty, in all the ways that he was beyond time, beyond space, um, without limitation, he took away that image. So we want to talk about not imposing our images on one another. He, he, he took away that image of an all-powerful God and took on our limited, corrupted image. He did that jump for us. The incarnation was like incomparable like an incomprehensible act of lowering oneself. And so in the same way, the freedom and the flourishing of our neighborhood is really often going to hinge on our ability to sacrifice ours. The freedom and flourishing of our neighborhood is going to depend on our ability to sacrifice ours. If we were to be Christians, 
little Christ in our neighborhood, then we're going to have to expect sacrifice. And, and this isn't... And when I say that, please, please don't think that this I am being trite or that I don't understand like the pain of what's going through. I, I don't. But like we have to trust God and His Spirit that He's able to address and work with us as we work through difficult things, as we confess and as we forgive and as we own and live with one another. In the documentary... Um, Marcellus, uh, one of the interns, has an amazing quote. And he says, When we forgive, we walk in the victory of Jesus. That, that when we go low, when we sacrifice for one another, we're actually walking in victory. And that's where the song, Winning You Over, came from. That when we win over our brother and our sister and our neighbor, it's done through the sacrifice and the freedom of Jesus Christ. I'm going to go back to another Bonhoeffer quote. And, and, and this is what he's talking about to, to when we live in community within, with one another and we start to affirm and we start to put, uh, like push into what God has created in that other person. He says, to bear the burden of the other person means involvement with the created reality of the other. To accept it and to affirm it and in bearing with it to break through to the point where we take joy in it. And see, this is the good news is that God takes joy in us. That God takes joy in each one of you as an individual. In who he has created you to be. And how he has created you to reflect his image in a unique way. And that when we participate with Jesus Christ, we actually can learn to have that same joy in ourselves for others. When we begin to give each other their freedom. In 2 Corinthians it talks about, it says, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And that when we when we look upon God, He transforms us into His image from one degree to the next. And so that's really what should be our vision for each other is one degree of glory to the next, and that freedom that the Spirit can bring when He works in our communities. And so we're wrapping up now. Um, there's three kind of spiritual decisions that I kind of wanted to help guide people towards. And um, we're going to have a response time as the choir sings and as the choir um, comes up. And there's pillows up on the side or up at the front and there'll be people to pray on the sides. And so I want to just kind of process three spiritual decisions for us. And the first is one of confession. The confession would be, where have you had a, where do you have a relationship where you have tried to stamp your image upon another person? That, that you, have, you have denied the other person the freedom that they have in Christ and you've tried to make them into your own what you think they should be or maybe even into you. And if that's you, then we just, off, we just uh, offer confession and the grace that God gives and the forgiveness that God gives. The second, the second spiritual point is, is consolation. Is, is maybe you, you've, you've received this word and, and you've received the Spirit of God and, and you're pouring yourself out into a relationship to the point where you almost feel empty. We would affirm you in that and we would just ask that you come and receive prayer for, for, for um, being filled once again. Um, that you would receive the, the comfort and hope that God can bring. And finally, salvation. If, if you're hearing this and, and you're like I, you still feel like there's a lot of trauma 
and pain that I feel, that I reflect um, this neighborhood's history. Um, and you need healing. And you need to meet your Savior. You need to feel the freedom that He brings and understand the power of His sacrifice in your life. We would also love to pray with you. And so the altar is open, and there'll be people on the sides to pray. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your spirit, and we thank you for your sacrifice for us. Lord, give us the grace and the humility to ask for forgiveness, to forgive, and to walk in your freedom. Amen.